Amen. You guys are ready to have a good time or what? Man, I, I love the word of God and um, John chapters, I, John chapters 7, 8, and 9 recently have become my favorite parts of the Bible. I'm sure as we continue on, I'll change. But right now, these verses are changing everything about how I view God and how I believe he views me. Amen? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Have you, how many of you guys have ever, ever been in a situation where you knew was God, that God was out to get you? And then you find a verse that says that, that Jesus looked at this woman who was caught in adultery and said, neither do I condemn you, and it sets you free. It changes everything about how you can view him and how he accepts you. Amen? Man, we're going to get a lot of amens today because I feel like preaching a little bit. Not a whole lot, just a little bit. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Anyways. Last week, Pastor Andrew brilliantly brought the word and shared with us about this blind man that Jesus heals by anointing his eyes with mud and then sending him to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. I'm just going to go ahead and and just go a little bit further in the story. Um, What I've discovered in this passage is that we often will invalidate things that we don't understand. We often will invalidate an experience that we cannot perceive or wrap our minds around. We will, especially when it comes to God, when God starts moving in a new way, in a new direction, doing new things, a lot of us will say that we're conservative when in reality we're just preservatives. We, we don't want to take the, the old things that God did and then put them into the new thing that he's doing to understand the new thing. But rather what we'll do is we'll, we'll reject the new thing. Oh, they're, they're doing music with drums and they got electric guitars. When I grew up, we had organs, you know, organs. That's, that's when the spirit of God would come in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Nothing wrong with, nothing wrong with organs. I believe that Mr. Hammond of the Hammond B3 will be in heaven (laughs) for the simple fact that he made the Hammond B3 and took people to church. (laughs) Some of you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But but we'll cling to, to our ways and our traditions and our rituals and reject the new thing that God is doing simply because we can't understand it or put our minds around it. Instead of looking at the old thing and saying, wow, this explains this new thing because God never really changes. He just fulfills what he prophesied before. God is doing something new in John chapter 7 and 8. And he's he's teaching things that are hard for the religious leaders, the Pharisees and scribes to fully perceive and understand. And so instead of accepting it, they reject it as being false. Instead of validating Jesus, they try to invalidate him. Because they were the ones who could see things clearer. They were the ones who knew the difference And from their vantage point, from the way that they could see things, there was something wrong with Jesus. Primarily because Jesus would take their religion and throw it out the window. Take their traditions and reject them. Take what was prophesied and fulfill it. Manifest it and make it real. And so what Jesus does in John chapter 9 is that, He attacks religion 
at the core with a full frontal attack. One of the ways that Jesus attacks religion is that he goes to the heart of it. He goes to the heart of the law. He goes to the heart of it. And, and what you'll find is that starting in Matthew, uh, one day Jesus and his disciples are walking along the path. And, and, and Peter, because Peter was always hungry and always cussing. You know, people cuss a lot, get hungry faster. You know what I'm saying? And, and Jesus, is, and, and they're walking, and they get hungry, and they start harvesting grain on the Sabbath. And, and the, the Pharisees and the scribes are kind of like, you know, I, I think that they're kind of stalking them, you know. Anybody ever had a stalker? We all have had stalkers. Facebook makes everybody a stalker. You've been stalking people on Facebook, and you know it, and you need to repent right now. But somewhere, these Pharisees are, are, are like just following these Jesus and his disciples around, and they see them harvesting grain on the Sabbath, and they're eating this grain. And so they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jesus. Why do your disciples do what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus straight punks them, MTV style. You've been punked. He says, don't you remember how David ate the showbread in the temple, which was unlawful for a man to eat? Do you remember that? I'm doing something new. There's a man who was in the synagogue, which was, which was sort of like the church for them back in the days. And, and he had a withered hand, and his hand was, was messed up, and uh, his arm rather. And, and Jesus goes on and heals the man on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees and the scribes are like, why are you doing these things on the Sabbath? If I was one of the disciples, I'd have said, Jesus, I'm okay with you healing. I believe in your healing, Jesus. I believe that you're my... I'd have done all that. But, but please, heal them on Sunday because we don't want to get in trouble. But it's as if Jesus is intentionally attacking religion at its core. And he's constantly throwing these jabs and, and re, uh, reharmonizing the people's understanding of Sabbath. He says, listen, you may observe the Sabbath, but I am Lord of the Sabbath. Don't worship the day. Worship the Lord of the Sabbath. He says, you're trying to find rest in a 24-hour period when you should come unto me, all ye who labor, and I will give you rest. And the people, instead of validating what God is doing through God-made flesh, they try to invalidate him. In John chapter 5, a few months ago, we were dealing with John chapter 5. Jesus is once again in the temple. And there's a man who's been laying at the pool of Bethesda. 38 years he's been an invalid. And Jesus goes up to him and says, pick up your mat and walk. Directly insulting the Old Testament where it says that on the Sabbath, no man is supposed to carry a burden, carry a load. And because Jesus broke the Sabbath, the text tells us that the Pharisees and teachers of the law, the scribes, sought to kill him. Because not only was Jesus breaking the Sabbath, but he also called God his own father, making him equal with God. They didn't like what he was doing, and they didn't like what he was saying about who he was. And so in John chapter 9, we, we kind of get to another little bit of a, uh, a high point of Jesus attacking religion. In, in verse 9, it says, uh, uh, chapter 9, verse 1 says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. Everyone say divine initiative. Divine initiative. I just want to park right there just for 30 seconds to show you something about how God works. This man is blind. He's on the roadside. He, he cannot see anything. And before he could see God, before he could recognize Jesus, Jesus sees him. 
That's how he saves you. It's not like you are searching for God. And if you say that I was searching for God, you are searching after the God of your own heart. Because the scripture tells us that no man seeks after God, not one. But God's the one who comes and finds us. He sees this man. We see the divine initiative. We don't see the man saying, Jesus, please heal me. Jesus, please save me. Jesus, please uh, change my life. Jesus, please do something special in my life. Rather, we just see Jesus saying, I'm going to do this simply because I'm Jesus. You see, a divine initiative and And so the story goes on, the disciples ask some questions, and Jesus is like, listen, the reason why this man was born this way is because I wanted to show you the glory of God. And he tells the man, go and wash, he puts mud on his eyes and tells him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man does it, and he is healed. When this took place, conflict enters the story. The people are like, how is it that you can see? How did it happen? Who did this to you? we can't explain this. We have never heard of any man who was born blind receiving his sight. This is impossible. Verse 14. Now, it was Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Point number one. Jesus doesn't believe in your religion. Jesus doesn't believe in the construct of your tradition and and what you believe in. Rather, you need to bend your will and believe in what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying. A lot of times we'll say, well, well, I believe it this way because the church I was saved in, the church that I grew up in, and and the traditions and the rituals that I used to do uh, tell me and inform me that life is supposed to be like this. And Jesus is like, listen, I don't believe your religion. So he attacks religion at the core. Says the day that this took place was the Sabbath, when Jesus made the mud and opened the eyes. So the Pharisees again asked how how this man had received his sight, and he said to them, "He put mud on my eyes. I washed and I see." Some of the Pharisees Pharisees said, "This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath." I think a better question should have been, "This man has been healed on the Sabbath." Why is God doing this now? I think that have led them to different answers. Instead, they start off from, this man is not from God because he does these things on the Sabbath. Do you see how they're clinging to their religion and their rituals and their traditions instead of seeing the miracle that's happening in front of their face? Jesus doesn't believe in your religion. If your religion emphasizes sacrifice above mercy, Jesus does not believe in your religion If your religion wants to point out and expose the sins of the world and is constantly telling you how bad and how evil of a generation this is, but is not willing to expose the great, amazing love from Jesus, Jesus doesn't believe in your religion. If your religion makes redemption a chore, Jesus doesn't believe in your religion. If your religion tells you that you must do more, act more, give more, and do more, and and, and go to these different places, Jesus does not believe in your religion. Is somebody listening this morning? The thing that you must note is that Jesus has left the temple. 
As a matter of fact, when he, when he was leaving the temple, one of the things that he said was, I am the light of the world. You guys remember that, right? He said it in John chapter 8, and then he says it again in John chapter 9. He says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 7, we, it is revealed to us why Jesus was in Jerusalem for the, in the first place. He was in Jerusalem because it was the festival of the, of the tabernacle that was taking place. Now, what would take place at the Feast of the Tabernacle was that at nighttime, there would be four giant lights or giant fires, pillars of fire, that would be lit up on the side of the temple walls. And it would be the height of the temple. And so Jesus is seeing these, these, these fires, these four fires, and the people are seeing these, and the priests are around these things. And right before they extinguish them, commentators say, Jesus gets up and says, I am the light of the world. The significance of this is this, is that we live in Riverside or San Bernardino or Colton, God forbid, Grand Terrace. Um, oh. But we, we, we live in this civilized situation where, where you can look out and see the, the city and you see all the city lights. But if you've ever been to remote places around the world where there's no uh, electricity, when there's one single light in the face of darkness, it's a huge contrast. So this taking place of him saying, I am the light of the world, it's directly Jesus saying, I am the light. Everything else is the realm of darkness. And then when he leaves the temple and still says, I am the light of the world. For them, the light was found in their temple. The truth was found in their temple. But Jesus has left the temple. And now he's broken the Sabbath and he's done all these things. And there's a frontal attack to their religious core. The text goes on, so the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his, his sight. And, and he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, I wash and I see. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. Point number two, religion often blinds you from the works of God. As they happen in front of your face. Religion will blind you from the work of God when it is evidently in front of your face. It's interesting to me that, that these people, rather than believing in the miracle that Jesus has just accomplished, they would rather cling to their religion and believe in the blindness that sin had caused the man. It's interesting. It's like, it's like the man can now see. For the first time, this man who was born blind is seeing. And, and they've brought his neighbors, his friends, Ray Ray, Bubba, and, and, and Jamadre and them have come through. And, and they're like, oh, my gosh, this guy can see now. Instead of believing, they're like, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. You didn't do the circle, circle, dot, dot. Now I got the cootie shop prayer. Did you get a prayer cloth for that? Did you use some miracle spring water? Did you come to the altar and, the, and, and they, I won't even go there. Uh, they're sticking to their rituals as opposed to seeing the blessing of the, of the miracle that, that has just happened in this person's life. The miracle is literally staring at them in the face and they still reject it. Oh, man, I, I don't know if, if any of you have ever been in a situation where you can tell, everybody can tell that you're not the same person that you once were. 
everyone can, can, can look at you and say, man, things have changed. But because you didn't enter the same door of grace or religion that I entered in, I must invalidate your experience. Your experience can't be true because it didn't happen in the Holy Cathedral, the Church of God of the Baptist, of the Lutherans, Methodist, Pentecostal, Episcopalian, relevant Church of Riverside. You kind of throw them all in there because, you know, when you're super religious, you got to have, oh, we've got it all covered. We're both Calvinist and Arminian all together. We believe in tongues, but then we cease from, come on. We have it all figured out. We've got all the bases covered. In, and, and if they, you didn't do it the way that we want you to do it, we cannot claim your experience to be a true experience. Because we have the corner on how God works and moves. The miracle is in front of their face. Staring at them. Seeing for the first time. And their response is, this can't be from God. Mm-mm. Mm-mm, girlfriend. So they, in verse 17, again, they, they, they went to the blind man and said, what do you say about him? What do you say about him since he has opened up your eyes? What do you say about him since he has opened up your eyes? And he said, he is a prophet. A man who's been sent from God. One thing I would have you note is that up until this point, Jade, this man has never seen Jesus. Jesus found him in his blindness and sent him in his blindness. He is experiencing what God has done in his life, but he has never seen the face of the one who, has, who accomplished that, that, that miracle in his life. He's never seen Jesus. But yet, in never seeing who Jesus is, in his heart, he has a vision that has opened up to say, though you say he's from the devil, I proclaim to you, because of my experience and what he's accomplished in my life, that this man has to be sent from God. You cannot shake my confidence in this. You may want me to to change my story, change it up, fix it up, reharmonize it, but I'll tell you straight to your face, as sure as I can see daylight, this man is from God. Religion, point number three. You guys keeping track if you're taking notes? Religion will reject that who is clearly sent from God. Religion will reject that who God has sent. I, just as a side note, I got two minutes. No, I don't, but oh well. I love it when, when scripture kind of like comes to life a little bit, you know? Like when you're reading and you're just kind of casually like, hmm, I'm going to preach this next week. But mm, you're just, just kind of like reading casually. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then you see something that you like, you know, that you read somewhere else like lived out. You know, anybody heard uh, James where it says, faith without works is dead, right? I'm a father now, and and I do things for my son that I would have, I swore I'd have never done before. I mean, we're we're out out and about taking a walk, and and, and I look at my son, and he's got like, you know, uh, crust around his nose. Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
It's like it's all salty. Like he has a salt. Like, like really, dude? And then you see your neighbors coming over. You're like, oh, I got to fix this real quick. Can't have my neighbors talking about my snot-nosed kid, you know? But you don't have any boogie wipes. Anybody know what boogie wipes are? You'll discover. So you do this. You go, come here, come here. And the kid's like, like, nope, nope. Worked for my mom, works for me too, you know? If Jesus had, had like, you know, thrown mud on my eyes and told me to go wash in the pool, of, I have to walk to the pool. Of, I'd have pulled something old and get, I'd have been like, wipe this stuff off. Crazy man from Nazareth. The very fact that he, without any discourse that is recorded, gets up and walks to the pool of Siloam and washes, tells me that his faith was lived out in obedience. He lived out this faith. Let's move on. They call the guy's parents. They question the guy's parents. Uh, His parents say, no, yes, he's our son. Yes, he was born blind. He's old enough. Ask him what happened. We don't know who who did this to him. And they were fear of being cast out of the synagogue. Verse 23 says, therefore, his parents said he's of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Give glory to God. Worship God. Shame the devil. Tell the truth this time. Religion will always prohibit you from authentic, true worship. What, What these Pharisees are saying is, we want you to give glory to the construct of the God that we've created in our heart. Not the true God that opened up your eyes, but the God that we've made up, the God that fits the box that we've built for him. Give glory to that God. Anybody know what a a manageable deity is? A God that you can manage, a God that you can understand, a God that, that, that rolls with you rather than you rolling with him. Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. See, religion will always block you from true, authentic worship. I, I remember, I see, I grew up uh, in, in, a, in a religion that uh, looks like Christianity, but it's a managed deity that they really worship, a deity that fits according to their prophet's word. And, and so, uh, but the thing about my tradition that I grew up in was that we had amazing music, man. I mean, y'all, y'all don't know nothing about music. I mean, we, we've produced some of the greatest musicians. You go to Hollywood and, and you go and ask around some of those musicians in Nashville, anywhere, and you say, hey, did you grow up in this church? And I'll say, yeah, I did. How'd you know? I could smell the veggie meat. Three of you know what I'm talking about. You don't reek of bacon. I know where you came from. We had great music. And we would like, I mean, we'd have like, we had sangers. You guys know singers. We had sangers. Sangers, okay? And we'd be in a worship experience, so-called worship experience. And, and, and what we'd, we'd be responding to was performance. I mean, because that, I mean, man, when, 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 when Tammy would come up there and sing, Nikki, you remember this. She'd come in and she'd be like, ah, 
He was like, no, that wasn't good at all. I was just messing around. But folks are like, oh, my gosh, praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. I feel the anointing, you know. And if it wasn't one of those, you go to a more traditional church, you'd have somebody who'd like hold out that note. Anybody know what I'm talking about? To God be the glory for the things he has done. The church is losing its mind, man. They're like, oh, my gosh, that's awesome. And then one day I was in South Florida at this church. at this had 5,000 people in the audience, and their band was amazing. I mean, this is when I had just come out of this religion, and I'm exploring Christianity. And I'm at this church, and I, I was there simply because I'd heard that all these great musicians were there. And so I'm sitting in the, in the organ side because you've got to watch the organist play, you know. That's what musicians do. Like, you know, find your spot. Like, oh, the drummer's over there. Okay, I'll go for it. Okay. Sit over here. So I'm sitting there, right? And, and then the pastor comes up to preach. And he says, before I preach, I just ran into sister so-and-so in the hallway. And I want her to come and share her testimony in song before I preach the message this morning. And I was like, oh, my God. This might be the woman who mentored Whitney Houston. I don't know. It's about to go down. And this lady walked, they had to help her up, you know. They had to help her up the stairs, and she got up there. And, and, and I just want you to picture uh, what looks like Mahalia Jackson. You know, there's a certain look. When you look at someone, you're like, oh, she can sing. And she gets up there, and she's like, well, the Lord done changed me. Here's my testimony. And she could not sing two notes in a bucket. However, the entire audience is on their feet. People are crying, wailing and weeping and giving glory to God. And I'm standing there saying, what's wrong with you? This woman can't sing. And I'm like, well, these people are tone deaf, man. I'm like, what's wrong? Listen, listen, listen. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, help her, please. The Spirit of God convicted me and said, you're concerned with performance, and you'll praise someone for a performance, but you'll never praise God when someone is testifying to what God has done in their life, what they've experienced. It changed my view of worship altogether. Nowadays, when we're, like, looking at musicians and worship people, I, I tell Matt, listen, their talent is secondary primary is their heart man judges skill god receives what's in your heart go on and say you're 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 his disciple we're disciples of moses we know that god has spoken to moses but for this man we we do not know where he comes from 
And the man says, why? This is an amazing thing. This is, this is amazing. You do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Obviously, God has never heard you, but he listened to this man. God saw you judge me, condemn me, and, and cast me off, but this man walks by me and changes my life forever. Surely there's something. Di- you can follow Moses. You can follow religion all that you want as for me I am going to follow this man never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind if this man were not from God he could do nothing and they answered him you ready for this before we even get there just say ouch real quick yeah that's for you okay They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Later on, Jesus is is having a conversation with this man, and, and Jesus says these words in verse 39. For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you'd have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. You were born in your utter sins, Linnea. You would, you would teach us. You're, you're a baby Christian. You don't know systematic theology. You don't know anything about imprecatory prayers and soterology and pneumatology and, and, and the doctrine of eschatology. You don't understand these things, and you would teach us? The man has said, listen, I don't know what you say about him. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. I may not know his origins, but I once was blind. Now I see. You may know all there is to know about the Old Testament law. All I know is that I was headed directly to hell, condemned. I was aware of my sin, knew about my sin, in trouble because of my sin. But one day, Jesus stopped en route to wherever he was going, and he turned my life around. And now I have a future. I have a hope. I have a destiny. I have found myself in his, in his heart. God has changed me. The problem... For all of us, this is something that, that happens to all of us, is that Jesus finds us in our mess, changes our life, and then we start experiencing progress. I, I told you to say ouch already, so it's all good. Already, we're still friends. I warned you. We, we find ourselves where we're, we're progressing, Maurice. I, I'm growing. You know, I've, I've started to read some books and learn some things and and, and now can, can recognize Greek letters. And, and, and now I start to see things differently. I start to see the sin in the world. And, and I see where God took me from and how far he's brought me, Rod. And, and, and you start getting to this place where you start getting proud when you achieve certain things. I, in my former life, if I was stuck in traffic and that person did that to me, I would have rolled down my window. It would have gotten a little Kevin Hart. A little Eddie Murphy raw. Some Andrew Dice Clay would have come out. You talking to me? You talking to me? Some Joe Pesci good fellas would have come out. And I'd have been Jay-Z all the way. I got 99 problems, but what? 
But now that I'm in Christ, I, I looked at them and I said, God bless you. Read my bumper sticker. Come to the crusade in August, Angel Stadium. Come on. And, and we, we, we progress and we start, but then we start looking at people and saying, oh, they're, they're, yeah, it's, it's cool that they've started to come to church, but they, they need to start growing in Christ. They need to, sanctification is a doctrine. Mm-hmm. They're still, I heard, I heard that it's our third marriage. I was on Facebook prayerfully by the grace of God and I saw a picture from their vacation and I looked at the glasses on the table I want to believe that it was apple cider I, in my heart I want to believe it was apple cider but the bubbles I, I, I blew up the picture and I looked at the fizz on top of that it's just apple cider doesn't do that Mm-mm. nope that wasn't grape juice. That wasn't apple juice. That was Stella Artois. Mm-hmm. I saw the billboard. Jesus said, you claim that you now can see. But if you are blind, if you were to embrace your blindness, maybe your guilt would not remain with you. Spiritual insight. Once God has set you free from your blindness. Spiritual insight is not for the purpose of you pointing your flashlight at other people. It is for the point of looking into your own heart and saying, God, there's still darkness here. I was reading a, uh, a, a story about C.S. Lewis when he wrote the screw tape letters. And uh, people were like, man, this is amazing. You must have studied theology and under you understand the way that the devil works in a very special way and c.s lewis responded by saying this he says listen the concept of the screw tape letters happened very quickly after conversion the reason why i can write the screw tape letters is because i know my own heart spiritual insight is so that we can look in and say lord i have blind spots Oh, that I may see. Oh, that you may be the light in my world. If you're a Christian, my call to you this morning is for you to pray that the Lord, who's the light of the world, would expose the darkness in your own heart. If you're not a Christian, Jesus has brought you to this place. Jesus has brought you here. And yes, it's true. You may not see him physically. But his spirit has begun a work in your heart. And is giving you insights. And he's calling you to respond. Perhaps you've been cast out. Rejected. And I love this. My last point. Can I give you one, la- one more? 
is this, is that when they had cast him out in verse 34, verse 35, it says that Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? You may have been rejected and cast out from the religious constructs that have worked for other people. But Jesus has found you here or wherever you are. And he has one question. Do you know the Son of Man? Will you place your faith and your hope in him? The man responds this way in verse uh, 38. He he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. My heart this morning is that you would believe so that you can worship him. Not worship him based on your performance or someone else's performance, but worship him because of what he's accomplished on the cross. As we sing Amazing Grace, I call you to to respond. I invite you to come into worship with him. I invite you to respond by giving him your heart that he may expose the darkness. David prayed this prayer. He says, search my heart, O Lord, and show me what's in it. In Psalm 27, if you're not a Christian, Psalm 27 says, the Lord is my light and he has become my salvation. My prayer for you is that the Lord becomes your light and your salvation this morning.